the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. Inlinks are salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. You know what, Rachel? I, uh, like, I don't even know where to really begin this podcast. Like, it's just, I feel like we, you know, I don't think you were, were you still, we didn't have a podcast like this last year because I believe you had been hired by uh, an NHL team. So at least this is the first time or the, the first time in, in a calendar year um, or two calendar years, I guess, that we're able to break down at least what is bound to be the end of a Toronto Maple Leaf season. Um, they go down three, nothing, uh, you know, it, to, in their series against the Florida Panthers and uh, look pretty terrible um, while doing it. And it stinks, man. They they stink. Yeah, you were like last week. You were excited. You're like, wow, I get to cover second round hockey, and now you're like, you know what? I really wish I wasn't covering second round hockey right now. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Arguably, I mean, I think Boston is obviously going to be the colossal disappointment of the season, given um, everything that happened. They were the best but, regular season team in the league, and then they blew a three-one series lead in which they had home ice advantage. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty rough. It's not great, um, but yeah, like this, considering what the mood in the city was last weekend, um, this is pretty terrible. So I'm glad you brought up the mood in the city because I'm writing a column about like you know what the like today obviously about like what you know what changes how deep the changes should go for the Leafs in the off season. Like, you know, because oh, and we're going to have a post-mortem on this podcast oh, yeah. about that. <laughs> we might even just do a whole friggin' podcast on post-mortem for the Leafs. Like it, like it is. They, yeah. It yeah. might be that bad, but I'm starting it off. And I feel like by the time this po- like by the time it, this podcast goes up, the article will already go up in that. Like I started off by basically saying like, you know, Leafs fans, like at the core of who they are, they just want to be normal. And here's what I mean by that. They just want to fit in. They just want to have a unit, the same, they want to be able to have the same experience that every other fan base gets. Like St. Louis. (laughs) That that like St. Louis, that friggin' Anaheim, that, you know, like Columbus, that any other team gets. They want to have that experience. They, you know, like it's, it's the, it's human nature. You want to fit in. You want to be able to have a collective experience. And they just, and, and, they just have never been able to have that. And because the Leafs are incapable of, of winning and losing in a normal way. And I, what I said is like their losses are catastrophic. Like they are like comedic pratfalls, you know, like just the worst. And even their wins, even their, their successes few and far between as they have been, they are always either like they either like brandish a, a an asterisk in the moment or it's added later. And so like, for the for, for the uh like like for this year it seemed like yeah man they finally did it. they finally you know like they got out of the first round they slayed their demon they 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 knocked off the uh you know the the Tampa Bay Lightning who knocked them out last year uh you know they finally got over the hump that's great no asterisks like that's and finally the Leafs are admitted into this club of or they're granted admission to this club of you know yay we achieved the bare minimum of playoff success great but then, and then immediately they are kicked right back out the door. And so, yes. And so right after they do a good job, like right after they, 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 they finally give their fans a reason to be normal. The, an asterisk pops up again. And that asterisk is they will likely get swept out of the second round by, by the eighth seed. And so it's just like Lee's fans at their core. They just want to be able to, enjoy themselves like every other fan base does or has at least been able to in the time since they have uh uh, they last experienced second round hockey before this year and they want to be able to enjoy a like a win or a positive that isn't a me either that isn't stapled with an asterisk or immediately followed by an asterisk and after last night it's just once again they will not allow their fans to to enjoy that. And so I just want to say I feel for you, Leafs fans. Like, this is horrible. This is, like, last night was, 
I was watching the game with my dad. My dad's a pretty positive guy. Like my, like he, he always yeah, your tells dad's me, pretty optimistic. I would say he always tells me to lighten up. He tells me to, uh, you know, to, he always tells me to look at things on the bright side, you know, that kind of stuff. I have never seen someone more pessimistic watching a hockey game than I have him last night. It was, he like, it, it, I wish you could have been in the room. And, and it's funny because like, you know, some of his grapes are, you know, uncle-ish in a way. Like uncle-ish. Maybe, oh yeah. You know, <laughs> Like he literally muttered under his breath, like effing Nylander at one point. I'm oh, like, oh my God. Are yeah, you, are, we're going to get to that. Are we sure that you're my biological father? Are you sure it wasn't, you know, your brother? Because you seem like my uncle right now instead of my dad. But, um, uh, but it, like he, and for a lot of it, he was right. He's like, why can't they just play like this other team? Like why, why are, why is this other team doing so many good things? And, and the Leafs aren't, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like I think for me, the way I kind of look at it is, um, they just can't do anything without a pomp and a circumstance. It feels like they lose and it's just like the black plague and they win and it's a coronation. Like it just can never be regular. And so it's, it's kind of one of those things. Then you add on that, uh, whether anybody else likes it or not, Toronto slash Montreal are the hockey meccas of, of the world and and so naturally there's there's more attention paid um i actually had a dream i think i told you about this i had a dream i want to say it was like the first week of the playoffs that the leaves were down three nothing in a series and came back and won and then i was watching last night and i had this like deja vu moment of like i've had this dream yeah and then i was watching the the tv screen and i was like yeah um this is not a thing that's gonna happen they have been dreadful and i think we should let's save the postmortem and, and maybe talk about mm-hmm. um you know what the other canadian team but when we have this postmortem, there's a lot analytically there's a lot from like a coaching perspective we're gonna have to talk about um because at the end of the day and it's funny that it came from domless trition mm-hmm. because he is the ultimate numbers guy but he said it the best they just do not have that dog in them they really they don't, don't. <laughs> and you know like you know who I've been, and obviously, like, you know, we're going to say, like, like, uh, uh, you know, like, Marner, obviously, has been playing terribly, you know, ever since the first round, or ever since, like, games one and two of the first round, really, all that, whatever, but you know who really showed me that he doesn't have the dog in him, and I know we're going to say this for the postmortem, but I just have to, you know who really, really showed me that they don't have that dog in him? Sheldon oh. Keefe. Yep. <laughs> Sheldon Keefe showed, has showed me... Like oh. I've, I have covered, I know you've worked with him, but at least from a yeah. journal, from a journalistic standpoint, um, I have like, I have covered Sheldon Keefe probably longer than most like other media members. Like I was I, like, who are yeah, cause you me. did the Marlies. Right. And who, I've, yeah. I've worked, I've known Sheldon since his days in the OHL. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> like I'm surprised, you know, like 10 you don't years know from now. since the what BECHL or wherever the uh, frig he, Pembroke. Uh, Pembroke. There you go. No, but like, I like I covered him for three years in, in the AHL um, and like I, I really did see a lot of good stuff um, about uh, like with him in the minors. Like I really did see, see a lot of good process oriented sort of things. And I loved how he was on the same page with, with Dubis at a time when the actual head coach of the Leafs was clearly not on the same page as <laughs> very not uh, as management and everything. But what has shown is shown here is that he he just like he he kind of exemplifies or sort of uh, embodies not exemplifies embodies what is plaguing the team. And like, I think we see that the opposite with John Cooper, right? Like oh, he is yeah. the ultimate motivator, the ultimate show up when it really matters guy. And what does he have in his team? You know, and sh- like the 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 Lightning this year were. If you looked at them on paper, they were a far worse team than the Leafs. And also basically dead. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Cooper got them like Cooper was like, they, if, if that game had gone and keep in mind that the Leafs won it in overtime three times. So. Yeah. Like Tampa, Tampa deserved to win that series. I would argue last year, the Leafs were the better team. Yes, they were. The Leafs were very clearly the better team against Montreal. Um, and they got goalied both years. Yes. And, and this year man Mm-mm. 
this no. year. And, and, and the thing about that too, is like, look at what he was able to achieve with that team. You know, they're like the, like the, the Leafs should have absolutely beat him. And, and the thing is too, is, and we know now, like, I think it's, it's almost certain that if the Leafs had gone to game seven, like if they hadn't won oh. that game six, there's no way they're winning that game. No, nope. there's no way. And it just, and, and it's a great tie into our breakdown. Um, first, we're going to have to talk about another Canadian team, but it's a great tie into our breakdown in that every coach has favorites. Every coach has their junk food that they, you know, they, uh, uh, you know, they should quit, but it's just, I can't quit you, you know, that kind of thing. This it's is like their own personal brand of illicit drug. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, remember Edward Cullen in Twilight he calls Bella his own personal brand of heroin. Yeah, that's, that's basically what a coach is. Pet so is. every coach is in an abusive relationship with a role player, basically, is what we're trying <laughs> yes. to say. Like it's it, but but this is going to be his undoing. And I, I can't wait to talk about it in our in, in our breakdown, because obviously you have a lot of great insights because you're actually there and everything. And also, I have a lot of opinions uh, just by watching it and especially applied to this leaf situation. But let's talk about a team where whose stars in every game, no matter what, always show up. And that's the end. Yeah, Oilers. let's. Let's talk about the team that I think might win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, you know um, what? Yeah. Kudos, 100% kudos to the Edmonton Oilers because, and, and you know, as much as, um, you know, as, as, as much as, as, as they're performing right now, I do think that Ken Holland, he, he saved his job with one trade. He saved, like, his, this era, really, of, of Oilers hockey with one trade. But, man, like, was it a trade? Getting, getting Matthias Ekholm is great. But what, what, at the core, not even just that trade, the Clem Costin trade too. Clem Costin was great, incredibly. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, like there's like even as much as it is as getting benefit, like even Zach Hyman signing, you know, like we're all criticizing them because it's that, that signing might not look great in a year or two, but right now, he Zach Hyman was almost a friggin' 100 point player, like it's it's crazy. Um, but at the core of Edmonton's success, no matter what, it always comes down to the fact that they have two. The two, arguably the two best players in the entire NHL. I don't and even think it's arguable anymore. I don't think it's arguable anymore. They have the best, the two best players in the NHL, two of the best players of all time who have ever played hockey. Like I think Leon Dreisaitl, who we're going to talk about, is in that conversation now. I think. And yeah, I think I think by the time's all said and done, he's probably yeah. going to end up being top fifteen all time. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. And here's the thing: they always bring it in the big moments. Always. You never ever hear about you know game seven oilers you know or oilers are down two nothing in the series whatever and Connor mcdavid and leon dreisel were nowhere to be found they always bring it it's always if anything edmonton's losses always look like that chris paul meme where it's like chris paul hits a step back three to bring the suns back to within 42 you know like it's <laughs> it's it, honestly it you we talked about this like a couple minutes ago in terms of like having that dog in him leon yeah. dreisel is oh the God. actual dog he is the dog they got that like, dog in them. He's the dog. Like the dog per 60. We've been doing per 60 stats on the Twitter account. Leon Dreisaitl's dog per 60 is currently breaking the chart. You know what? And and here's the thing is, is and I love how Dom says it because he is, Dom is the one who who's saying it these days because he is the biggest number guy. But like, and I'm going to say the most boomer thing I've ever said in my life right now. <laughs> oh God. Like n- literally numbers cannot account for a player who has that dog in him. Like, like in certain situations, numbers cannot account for a player who has that dog in him. Leon Dreisaitl, obviously, he's got the numbers and the dog in him. But man, like he, when you talk in the playoffs, like it really does go to show who has, who has that dog in him, that D-A-W-G in him. Yeah. And holy smokes, Leon Dreisaitl. And Connor David, like, but Leon Dreisaitl. Oh, man. Their splits are, are super interesting. So um, if you look at Edmonton, like Dreisaitl and McDavid – their points are spread across the series. Like they don't have a spike in production in games one and four where the games are like traditionally more power plays and traditionally like maybe a little bit easier games, five, six, and seven is actually arguably where they're at their best. Whereas Mm. the opposite is true for players like Marner and Matthews, where they get all their points in games one to four and then are an actual ghost Mm -hmm. games, five, six, and seven. So you look at Leon Dreisaitl. And I do think we need to kind of break it down a little bit because he's got 17 points in eight games, which is absolutely hilarious. It's it, 13 <laughs> goals. In eight games. Second place, Mike, has seven. He has double second place. He, he has the amount of stats where, like, if I got that in my Bia Pro 
sort of season in the NHL. I would sim games, like I would I would sim a couple games to the like to ensure that I didn't get any points in them just to make it more realistic. Right. So Dreisaitl's got 17 points. Eight of them are power play points. That is less than half. Yeah. Okay. So like he is producing at five on five. I do want to put an asterisk on the fact that Evan Bouchard has 11 or 14 points and 12 of them are on the power play. That is what we call a power play producer. Mm-hmm. Like if 80% of Dreisaitl points were on the power play, then I'd be like, all right, like just chill. Yeah. But, but he's, he's getting it done, also man. producing at five on five. And that matters. We just talked about how, like, I've got a thread on Twitter where I talk about Matthews and Nylander and Marner and and how they're respectively producing at five on five underlying-wise as opposed to just, like, the stats. You look at Leon Dreisaitl. At five on five, he's actually been worse than Matthews and Nylander. But he's producing. And guess what? In the playoffs, that actually matters. Like, it, it does, right? He's 52% expected goals mm-hmm. for while he's on the ice. That's not con Smythe worthy by any stretch of the imagination. But while he's on the ice, the Oilers are outscoring their opponents 13 to 6. That's what you need, man. He's doing, they're doing the reverse Justin Hall right there. <laughs> but you look at it, right? And I think with Dreisaitl, there does need to be some level of asterisks in terms of power play because he does put up a lot of his points on the power play. But you also cannot ignore the fact that when the going gets tough, he consistently finds a way to produce, mm-hmm. right? I don't care, like, okay, his underlying numbers might not be good, as good as some of the other players like McKinnon or Matthews or whatever. But those guys didn't find a way to get it done. Dreisaitl, year in and year out, McDavid the same. They find a way to get that puck in the back of the net. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Because when we yeah. look back on this year, no one's going to look back and be like, oh, he only had 52% expected goals for on ice. No, they're going to look back and see that he is in the same conversation as Wayne freaking Gretzky. That's a pretty good conversation to be in. I feel like, yeah, like he's 21st in terms of like individual expected goals. He's got like just over two. And that's behind guys like Jack Hughes and Matthews and Nylander, Matthew Kachuk, even Rupa Hintz. Would you take any of those players right now over Leon Dreisaitl? No. Like, not even not even close. No. And I do – look, I do think that this is going to – like, there, there will be a bill to pay when it comes – like, eventually, when it comes to the amount of power plays yeah. the Oilers get. Because they are getting an absurd amount of power plays for any playoff series. And what's great is that, like – I think it's it's the amount that they should be getting uh, because... Yeah, we're not you, complaining that they're having too many. We're complaining that it's not in line with everybody else. Yeah, and, and the thing is, too, is, like, when you... Remember, like, was it last post? I'm pretty sure it was either last or the year before where Connor McDavid, like, didn't have a single... He, didn't, he didn't, wasn't able to draw a single penalty, even though, like, there were compilations of him getting just straight up abused, like, physically Remember when abused. I actually watched the video and counted every single yeah. infraction, and then McDavid's agent texted me and was like, did you actually do that? Yes, I did. <laughs> exactly. And so, it's just... It, it eventually like it's, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be getting power plays because when you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, specifically Connor McDavid, a player who can move that fast and is always going, you know, end to end. And the only way to try and stop him is to clutch and grab or to get in his way or to commit an infraction. Um, yeah. But eventually just by the horse crap way that the, the NHL is officiated there, like those penalties will be, will, will be even sort out. of paired back. Yes. As they say. And especially uh, as we get into like yeah. the third and fourth round. Exactly. And I think right, that like this I, is, this is going, and you know, we know the, the Oilers are going to be there. Um, but like, they are going to get sort of like paired back. And, and at that point you have to go, okay, well, like their biggest weapon, like, cause they, they beat, you know, uh, Vegas over the weekend. And I believe they had four power play goals. Like at, at a certain point, you're not yeah. going to have, like at a certain point, you're not going to have that many opportunities to do that. Yeah, you're right. And I think that'll taper off, but that's where the five on five play comes in, right? He's still outscoring. Now, is he going to generate? Is he going to have the same godly numbers? Um, probably not. But at this point, I, I'm not really sure that I'm willing to bet against him. Um, mm-hmm. Because, especially 
like he kind of seems like he's going angry German mode right now, and mm-hmm. that that kind of is a little bit alarming. No one um, knows because angry German mode he, better than you. Gets, <laughs> exactly. Um, when he goes on these tears, where he just looks absolutely possessed, like he stops when he feels like stopping, and then naturally Connor McDavid decides he's going to be angry and score eleven million times. So it's kind of one of those things. But they're just, I think. That's an example of it doesn't always have to be about the numbers. It could just be that they're getting it done. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, all right. We talked about players who deserve to be in their coaches' incredible graces. Um, let's talk about players who don't. Now, we see it's heightened in Toronto because obviously everything is heightened in Toronto, but we see that coaches – they have their they have their guys. They have their coaches, their coaches pet, whoever however you want to call it. They have these players that they consistently turn to that they rely on. Special fish. <laughs> whether or not that loyalty or that that opportunity is deserved. And you know, we we're look, we're wringing our hands over over everything here. And it's uh, it's specifically Justin Hall with Sheldon Keith. And I have two with Sheldon Keith. It's Justin Hall and Alex Kerfoot uh, for Sheldon Keith. Those two yeah, players. I think um, no matter what, that. he can't quit like, him. What? Who was the player that uh, Chris Russell in Edmonton was? Oh the yeah, pet. Jay, even Jay McClement for for Randy Carlisle. You know, like uh, yes. yeah, Chris Russell in, in Edmonton. Um, you know, like the, you can see this time and time. Like for a while, even in New York, it was like Tanner Glass for a while. Oh my for some gosh, reason, yeah. You know? Right, There's, John Tortorella has his like Eric Goodbranson. Yeah, you know. Like it's Eric Goodbranson is the perfect coach's pet. He's not Torts's because Torts is in Philly, but he is the coach's pet. Like, I don't know how this guy plays everywhere he goes, but he does. And in Calgary, Trevor Lewis was Daryl Sutter's coach's pet. Like every team has one. This is not exclusive to Toronto, but it's being magnified. Yeah. Yeah. Because, okay. So it's usually a role player. Yeah. I've had the pleasure of working with um, three, four, like five coaches now that are at a high, high level. Right. Um, And basically for whatever reason, the coach has what we like to call in, in the stats world as an unconscious confirmation bias for the player Mm -hmm. or players. And that means that they see the great stuff and then they compartmentalize and box out the bad stuff. So then that player ends up, staying in the good graces of the coaches and playing more than he should. And also more importantly, playing in roles that he shouldn't. And so it's okay. You know what? If you want to play Chris Russell as your sixth defenseman, that's fine. If you want to play Jay McClement as your fourth line center, that's fine. Same with Eric Goodbranson. All fine and well. The problem arises when Trevor Lewis is playing on your second line, Eric mm-hmm. Branson's playing on your first pair, and Justin Hall is playing 23 minutes a game. That's where the problem arises, because you know who should be playing 23 minutes a game? Not Justin Hall. Exactly. So you look at it, and it's a great example was in Game 3 with the Leafs. Sheldon Keefe and his coaching staff, because I do not think it's just Sheldon Keefe, um, especially the penalty kill. He's not in charge of the penalty kill. That's Dean Genoth. Um, mm-hmm. Think Justin Hall is a good penalty killer. And I saw that goal, the Anthony Duclair goal. And immediately, my first thought was, how is he able to cross the dot? The defenseman's supposed to be there. And then they showed the overhead. And Justin Hall was not one not two, but three strides outside of the dots. And the number one rule of penalty killing is you do not step outside the dots if if you're a defenseman. You don't do it. And that's something where an outside coach would look at that and go, that can't happen. But Sheldon Keefe or Dean Chanel will look at it and go, it's just a mistake. We got to move on from it. It's like, no, like that that's taught in 10 year old hockey you don't do that Mm -hmm. right and so it's kind of like your uncle's bias against William Nylander or Don Cherry's bias against non-Canadians like your uncle thinks William Nylander's terrible William Nylander's been the best of the top four players by like a country mile Morgan Riley isn't good Morgan Riley's been the best player for the Leafs in the playoffs (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
I now with yeah. with Hall and we're going to get into into more and obviously we're framing this in a Toronto centric spot because it's the team we follow the most the team I cover and whatnot but like with Hall um a lot of it also does come down to relationship you know like like Keith and uh and Dubis by extension like they are responsible for for Justin Hall not playing in like the Italian league right now you know they plucked him off of the ECHL uh, uh free agent sort of scrap heap you know like he got he was Justin Hall was a second round pick if you don't if you if you recall you know he, he was second round by Chicago and you know like played all throughout you know university and then you know had a very brief audition with the uh, uh with the Rockford Ice Hogs and just like didn't do anything and they just were like all right the second round pick that like this this player we spent a second round pick on no we're gonna dump him we're not gonna sign him like it, it you know that that that's that, that takes a lot for that to happen and and Keith and, and Dubas saw something in him where they they signed him and they rehabilitated him so there's like a there's a sense of like not not ownership I mean there's a sense of just sort of like kinship like yeah with, it's like this is my stake project. in the ground prove everybody wrong situation it's honestly like when I was in New Jersey I had this with Jesper Brad mm-hmm. and yeah, thankfully I am being vindicated now thank you yeah. Jesper. When but you're in, I, when you're in a situation like that, no matter what, you are going to have fondness over someone because because their success kind of like speaks to your success. If Justin Hall was an incredible, if Justin Hall was, you know, like the 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 shutdown defenseman, you know, that his minutes would suggest him to be, you know, if, right if now, Justin Hall was TJ Brody, <laughs> if Justin Hall was TJ Brody, or even just like a competent top four defenseman, you know, like who doesn't really move the needle in either direction, but is still, you know, like just like able to sort of hold down the fort, like that would be, that would be one of the biggest glowing things on Dubas and Keith's resume is, Oh, they found this guy and look what he's given them. And instead it's it's the opposite. Yeah. Like it's still, he's still a great story coming from the ECHL to playing regular minutes in the NHL. But at some point, and I've had this talk with an NHL coach at some point, you have to recognize when that player has reached their limit and not to exceed that because otherwise you're putting them in a compromising position. Like I think Sheldon Keefe's done a fantastic job with deploying Riley and Shen as a pair. And that's Mm -hmm. allowed both of them to play to their strengths and play at their best. But he's not doing that with Justin Hall. And that's where the coach's pet comes in. And the problem that you have is other players recognize this like other players recognized when jt miller was being handled with kid gloves last year mm-hmm. other players recognize when any other players being handled with kid gloves compared to the other players on the team and that makes it even like the fans obviously realize it and so that makes the mistakes more glaring because that player is unfairly put under a microscope so now keith has sort of put hull in a position where like the fan base really shouldn't be turning on Justin Hall because he's still an NHL defenseman, but Keith has deployed him in such terrible situations where the fans are rightfully upset at Justin Hall because his mistakes are absolutely egregious, and that impacts poor Justin Hall. Like I feel bad for him that he's, he's a constant topic. A, he's being put in a position to fail. Yeah, that, that goes would be, back to the coach. Yeah, that would be like if the national sprinting coach for Jamaica came and said, Mike, you're going to run on the relay team with Usain Bolt. And then the relay team lost because you weren't very good. You're saying I can't, I can't hold up with Usain Bolt, Rachel. I I take that personally. Well, I I made, I made the, I made cities in, in track as the anchor of my relay team in grade seven. Okay. There you go. So, but this is, this is what I'm saying, right? Then everybody in Jamaica would be angry at Mike, even though it's not Mike's fault. It's the coach's fault for picking Mike. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it's, you just can't, you can't do that. Rude to use me as an example, but absolutely. Go ahead. Go ahead. Precisely. Um, And I think it's what, I've always kind of thought about biases in general and and it's something I've kind of worked really hard at and you've been good at helping me with it is it's dangerous when you can't step outside your bias and recognize the consequences. And so if you put that in a coaching mold, like it's dangerous when Brad Larson can't step outside his bias and he's playing Eric Goodbranson on the top pair. It's Mm -hmm. dangerous when Sheldon Keefe can't step outside his bias 
and is playing Alex Kerfoot with Austin Matthews and Justin Hall on the top pair because that impacts the results of everybody around them. It's fine and all dandy if it only impacts them. But when it starts to have a greater impact, like being minus 14 or whatever it is, that gets recognized. And like hockey players objectively aren't the smartest people on the planet, but they know how to count. Yes, they do. Right. And and so when you're like plus minus off, you a dumb stat, but like, if you're minus 13 and everybody else on the team is like plus two or minus two, like, um, you're the weak link people like, like yeah. players, players aren't dumb. They know, they know how to, they know how to identify the weak link. And, and it's also like when players are getting like, I don't know, for example, I like know it's less the fault of Justin Hall than I think we're making it out to, or everyone's making it out to be. No, no. Yeah. It's not Justin Hall's fault because he's being put into position just to fail and he is failing. And like, yes, is he playing terrible hockey right now? Absolutely. Correct. But but it's a job. It's the job of the coach to recognize that and to make adjustments. And he did that when they needed it the most. And it took like, look, man, I was the guy who asked Keith the question. I straight up was like, hey, man, Justin Hall's been on 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 for 73 percent of, of the goals against. Like, why do you keep going back to him? And the next game he scratched him. And like, you know, it, it, it happens that way. But I know they're not comparable players, but like, I'm just thinking like, imagine you're, you're Zach Aston Reese, you know, you, you get scratched. You're in the, you're in the press box. You're looking down or whatever. And you realize, and, and you learn just like I did last night that Alex Kerfoot had the most ice time of any forward in the, in the first period. Yeah. That's totally inexcusable. I would be losing my mind. Be like, how, like, why, why am I never given that? Like that's why? Totally inexcusable. And, and why is David camp out with two minutes, like with two minutes and 40 seconds left to go when you're down by one in a playoff game. Like it's, you know, there are these situations and it goes back to a coach. It's not the player. The players are doing the job that they are given and they're doing it to, I would say the best of their abilities. Some of their abilities are limited. limited. You know, like, like, I'm sorry, but I don't think I've ever seen Alex Kerfoot handle a pass without bobbling it. And I, and I don't think I've ever seen Justin Hall be in the right position, be in the like stand in the right place on the ice this postseason. I don't think I've ever seen him do that. But it's 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 the coaches, it's Sheldon Keefe's fault for throwing these guys out there because he has an affinity for them. He he helped build Justin Hall. He won a championship with Justin Hall in the AHL. And with Alex Kerfoot, there must be something that he that he likes about him. I don't know what it is, but there must be something. And you know, it just it goes back. Yeah, to like we're not saying scratch Alex Kerfoot. We're saying I maybe, am. Oh well, maybe play like your top four paid forwards more than Alex Kerfoot is what I'm saying. But I wanted to go back to um, you asked Keith that question, and mm-hmm. Keith's response stuck with me because I was like, "This is going to come back at some point." And his response was, "It's not only Justin Hall's fault." And okay, he said he's, it, gonna it, pre- he's not. Is he out there on his own when he's getting scored? On? Right. Was the okay last night. On that particular goal, that goal, as so when I was in Vancouver, I would, and in New Jersey, every team does it. Like, you, mar- when you do goals against from a coaching staff perspective, you attribute a portion of the fault to each of the five players on the ice, right? Sometimes a couple players get like zero fault because it wasn't their fault at all. If I was attributing fault on that goal, Joseph Wool would be getting zero because that was like the second shot mm-hmm. he faced. Justin Hall, probably up near 65 or 70. Jake McCabe, probably 15. And then the forward who drifted outside that was supposed to be covering the middle of the ice would get the other 10. But Justin Hall was mainly to blame for that goal because if he is in the spot he's supposed to be in, he gaps up on Anthony Duclair, Bob's your uncle, he's probably yelling about William Nylander, and they don't score they probably don't get his own entry. But when you're not in a good position and you're a man short, that gets exacerbated. And what happens? Four seconds later, the puck is in the back of the net. And that just can't happen. And so when you have that coach's pet, which is how we got on this in the first place, Mm -hmm. eventually it harms your team. And eventually that player becomes hated. And it's not the fault of the player. It's the fault of the coach for putting that player in that position. Justin Hall is only capable of playing the best Justin Hall can play. 
And Justin Hall on his best day is not going to be as good as 50% of Morgan Riley. That just is true. the truth. In the same way that Zach Aston Reese on his very best day will be 40% of what William Nylander is capable of. Like, that's just how it is. And the coach not recognizing that is costing the team, whether it's standings points, playoff wins, whatever the case may be, it's costing the team. Mm-hmm. And you just can't have that. So You just can't. It's, it's going to cost – it might cost the Leafs an era because, you know, yeah, there's but- going to be seismic changes if – if they bow out like this. So I and, have a wild theory. What is your theory? If they bow out like this, like if it's four two, maybe not. But if, if they go out four, if they get swept four yeah. one. Um, we know there's going to be sweeping changes in Boston because of their cap and everything. Um, I wonder if there is a massive blockbuster between Toronto and Boston. Like who would be involved in that? I'm it's hard to say, but I could see because of the Allmark Swayman situation, I could see a goaltender being involved. So then maybe you go like Allmark Hall or Swayman Hall, like whatever the case you mean may Wall? be. Uh, uh, yes, Wall. Oh, thank God. All I was going to say, what You the... know what I meant. <laughs> yeah. Um, Boston has a glut on the back end. Toronto has a glut up front. I could see that. Um, but they're going to want to make some serious changes. And I could see those teams, maybe they don't trade with each other, but I could see both teams making some gargantuan changes in the offseason. You know what I'm thinking? Like, do the Leafs have a glut up front? I don't think they do. Well, they have a glut of stars up front that they can move. Oh, yeah. Okay, stars. But I mean, (laughs) like, when you look at their depth, like... Oh, no. (laughs) I don't think they have a glut of forwards. Like, everyone keeps saying, like, oh, the Leafs have a glut of forwards. No, like, it's, like... Achari's a free agent. O'Reilly's a free agent. I think O'Reilly gets retained. I, I think so too. I think he's staying yeah. for sure. Um, he he loves it here. Like just being around the ring, I can tell that he loves it here. He's being extremely impressed in um with the amount of resources that they have at the like the Leafs have at their disposal, which is again another like the fact that the Leafs aren't are are, are failing like this when they basically have like people designated to make sure that like, you know, they're they have somebody dedicated to Marner's eating habits. They have someone dedicated to like making sure that one like guys are well hydrated on like Thursday afternoons, yeah. you know, like it, like just specific that's what stuff I mean. Like, like Barner's eating habits, Matthews, Nylander, like, yeah. like all the eating habits. They have a specific diet for every single player. They have everything down to like they take their blood work and like run through it to make sure, like you know, it's crazy stuff. Um, I think he's I think he's gonna be like a Chari is a free agent. Like you know, he's not resigned yet, but like O'Reilly's a free agent, Kerfoot's a free agent, Bunting's a free agent. You know, like Simmons is a free agent. Uh, you know, y- you could go down the list here, and then you, you start to think like, who else? Who do they like? Who do they have coming up? You know, who do they have on hand? Like, oh, Aston Reese is a free agent. Like Lafferty is sticking around, but like, you know, David Camp is a free agent. Like they they have a lot of guys who are coming up off the books. There's a um, chance for some some pretty big changes. One hundred percent. But I wonder if it's just if it's further up the lineup, and I think it it has to be. They can't yeah. run it back. They can't speaking run it back. of further up the lineup, um, well, yeah, speaking of big guy, changes, one guy that's going to play further up whatever lineup he's drafted into is Connor Bedard. Unless he gets drafted by a team with John Tortorella, who will un- 100% start him on the fourth line and be mad that he doesn't block shots. Can't 100%. wait. Okay, so. it's Today is the day, guys. It's the draft lottery. Today's who, the day. Where is Connor uh, Bedard going to slot in? Where is he going to land? Where is he going to spend... At minimum, I, I I think the next what five years of his career until he gets free agent. Oh no, I think I Connor Bedard is extremely loyal. If you think about yeah. him, like not being wanted uh, out of Regina, even though like he could have gone How, to a Memorial yeah. Cup team, I think it's probably more likely than not that he stays with whatever team he's drafted for for his whole career, right, so unless it's Arizona. Career. Yeah. Um, so I want to, I, we're obviously going to talk about like, where should he go? Who should he get? Blah, blah, blah. Right away. I want to say, you know, and I think both of us are in agreement on this. If Connor, if Connor Bedard, um, if Connor Bedard ends up spending his prime years in a community, in a community center rink in front of tens of fans in Arizona, again, in a team that, you know, can barely, can barely pay its rent on a university rink. I am going, I am going to commit a federal crime. 
So there are, I think you and I are in agreement that there are three places we do not want Bedard to go. It's Arizona, Chicago, and Vancouver. Correct. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of people are saying like, yeah, bring Bedard home to Vancouver. And I think, you know, like, listen, I think for him personally and for the fans who deserve good things oh, yes. in Vancouver. The fans deserve it. That'd be great. I don't think the, the 100% I don't think the organization deserves it. And I don't think they will handle it properly. Like they will find a way, they will find a way to scapegoat him or, you know, or, or stick him in media in the middle of mediocrity forever. Um, it's, it's, it's rough. So Rachel, let's run down I'm trying to find it here. Let's run down our top spots for Connor okay. Dart. I'm going to run down. I want you to run like. it. Yes. Well, I want like both of us, we have them in different orders here. So I want to debate. I think we oh, actually, you've, you've, we have two teams. Like there are two, there's a difference yeah. of two teams in here. Let's, let's run them down. Rachel, where, give me your top five. And this is in, in, in order from one yeah. to five. Um, uh, I've got or go, go, sorry, go, go five to one just for oh, dramatic. Okay. Effect. At five, I've got Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be absolutely hilarious to see Bedard play with Ovechkin and I one, want it. Uh, um, I, one thing I will say is in my, in, in my, um, what's it called in my, in my NHL 23 BA pro Connor Bedard is drafted by the Washington Capitals. In, I'm in not going to place a bet on that. Thank you very yeah, much. There you go. Um, okay, I've got Washington. Then I've got St. Louis, and this is a little bit outside of the box. Um, I've got St. Louis because of, one, the time zone that they're in. I think having Bedard play like 8.30 games is ideal for building fan bases on the West Coast and the East Coast and getting the most amount of eyeballs on Bedard. I also think St. Louis has gone about how they do things pretty pretty well in terms of just like how they run their organization and um how mm-hmm. they've drafted and and thing and how they treat their players so i think for that reason um i would like for those reasons i'd like to see him there then i've got anaheim um just because i mean why not put bedard and mctavish and zegras on the same team and see what happens um my concern there is obviously like the 10 10 30 starts i san jose starts at 10 30 like that's not good for the most populous coast. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's a problem. At two, I've got Philadelphia. And uh, this is probably unpopular. Um, but I think the Philadelphia fans deserve it. They have been mired in mediocrity forever. For, for as long as I can remember at this point. Right. And Philadelphia fans are so passionate and so loyal. They put up with all manner of nonsense from management for decades and have still shown up for their team. So for me, seeing Connor Bedard, seeing those fans rewarded with Connor Bedard as they come into a new management era would actually be very nice. Mm -hmm. Um, And then number one, the team I want him to go to the absolute most is Columbus. Yeah. And I, I, we, we both have that as our top team. We both have Columbus at, at, at number one. So I think it'd be great if he goes there. He would really, he would just like, he, he, he would build hockey in Ohio right there. Yeah. And Columbus has, Columbus is a great city. I love Columbus. Um, Ohio state was a school I was looking at, um, mm-hmm. but being a, glo- a go blue family, like that just was never going to be allowed. Um, but my friend went to Ohio state. I went to visit him. Like Columbus is a great city and I've been to a, few blue jackets games they actually like the atmosphere in that building is awesome um and i do think that they're sort of an underrated market in the nhl where if they got a legitimate superstar mm-hmm. they could really grow into a premier nhl market absolutely all right here are mine starting at number five i got detroit i think it would be awesome like Detroit is one of those story, obviously original six, but just like a storied franchise. They always have, I think like era defining superstars, like generational defining superstars, whether it's, you know, like Steve Eiserman or Gordy Howe or, you know, guys like that. Uh, Nick Nicholas Lidstrom, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like there always seems to be an era that is defined by like a generational talent. And I think that, you know, they are entering that next era where they're going to be competitive. And I think it's good for hockey when Detroit is, 
you know, up up in that you know upper echelon. And Connor Bedard, first of all, he would look incredible in that jersey, and yeah. he would also just like skyrocket. I think sort of like he would just sort of push that. He he, he would he would then be able to cement himself in an original six you know, like storied franchise to help sort of make his mark there. I think that'd be great. Um, then I have San at four, I have San Jose. Um, I, I think, first of all, I think Connor, Connor Bedard again with the Jersey would look incredible in those teal jerseys. I think it would be awesome. Um, and you can basically everything that I was, that you said about like Anaheim, I can say about San Jose. It's a shame that they have 1030 starts. I literally wonder if like, if they draft, Connor Bedard if they like petition the league to start at 10 or something instead oh like, I feel like the NHL is gonna go hey guess what you're probably starting at 9 30 now well you know that uh, Rachel I'm never gonna give the NHL the benefit of the doubt with that considering they put they ESPN have, sorry <laughs> yes well I mean considering the way that they've scheduled the playoffs oh, this God. year or the second round specifically um but like San Jose, they need they need a star. Like obviously they have Eric Carlson, he's a superstar, whatever. They need like a young star. That's a team that is beginning to strip it down, beginning to to turn over. And I think, man, that Shark Tank, you know, atmosphere, um, that's a great organization. That's a great fan base when you really tap into it. Um, and I think that it would be great just to have like Connor Bedard ripping it up in California. I think that'd be awesome. Um you know, number three, I have Washington and pretty much for all the reasons you said it would, it would also give Alex Ovechkin like that one, like the, the help for a, a chance to get a second cup before he retires. Cause he's what 38 now. Like he's, there isn't that much time left. Um, and I think Connor Bedard immediately sort of like is the adrenaline needle in the heart of that organization that goes like, Oh, Oh crap. We can, we can do this. Um, we can, we can like cement another, sort of chapter in Alex Ovechkin's legacy in this organization as like the greatest player who's ever laced up his skates for this organization. And I think it'd be awesome for Conor Bedard to be a part of that. Then two, I have Anaheim and namely because yes, because of all the California stuff, I think, I think the way you make the Anaheim ducks, the most popular, like literally the most popular team in the league is you draft Connor Bedard. You get the Connor Bedard pick, you draft Connor Bedard, you add him to a team that has Troy Terry, Trevor Zegris, Mason McTavish, you know, like Jamie Drysdale, pretty much like the best prospect pool in the league, like of young. Yeah, them in Minnesota, the best prospect pool in the league. But I mean, like young, high-end, like elite, like flashy talent. And then you go back to the Mighty Ducks jerseys, boom, boom. Like that's the most popular team in the league. Amazing. Um, And then obviously number one is, is Columbus. Like that, that, that cements Ohio hockey right there. That turns that, or that like, it does, it does to like, it does, it does to Columbus, like the city of Columbus, what Sidney Crosby did to Pittsburgh. Like, obviously, the city of Pittsburgh was like, like you know, they, they rallied around and they loved the, the, the Lemieux and the Yager and the, uh, uh, and the Ron Francis and, and all those years. But, uh, you know, there's a reason why that, why that team was potentially going to become the Hamilton Penguins, you know, before Sidney Crosby showed up. Uh, and he completely sort of rejuvenated that love. And I think that Connor Bedard can be the first guy to, to like not rejuvenate. He can juvenate, I guess, the love in in that. Uh, he, in yeah, that he can like make it blossom because I feel like yes. it's kind of just waiting to come out. You know, there's people it that is. are passionate in Columbus because ha- like, have you attended an Ohio State football game or even I personally an Ohio haven't, State hockey game? People are while I went to a Michigan Ohio State game and I was like, this feels like a European soccer game. I'm scared for my life. <sighs> It is wild. Mm-hmm. And I think with Connor Bedard, because tickets are actually affordable in Columbus, you can maybe get a university crowd to come out to your games as well, build up a fan base, like build on what you already have. And so I look at that and and one, Columbus does it right. Like they're not, they didn't tank, like they signed Johnny Gaudreau and they got mm-hmm. riddled with injuries. They've never been a team that does shady things i actually really like how yarmo kekalainen handles himself right so for me i look at this and i'm like their fans deserve something like this and i actually i think the blue jackets jersey's sick and if bedard is drafted by the jackets i will be getting one i think it would be great and i think like it would just it would do so much for that that organization for that uh i don't know just for like the market i think it's the perfect landing spot for him it, it's great for time zone wise it's great for it's great market wise like you know like literally this could be a, like in hockey terms this could be like a lebron in cleveland situation it's the same freaking state like it's you know it, yeah. it would it would be it would be great the only the only difference is that bernard is not from ohio 
Um, but man, like he could he could be that that he could have that rod. impact on a franchise. This is a franchise altering player. This is oh, a McDick. without a doubt. This is a Crosby. Like you're, it's some GM tonight, some owner is going first of all some owner is going to be making over a hundred million dollars tonight because of all of the jersey sales that are going to pop off tomorrow morning Mm -hmm. but some gm is either going to save his job if it's in jeopardy or he is going to be vaulted into the playoff conversation next year because that's exactly what happened with matthews was drafted it's exactly what happened um with mcdavid somewhat um if you look at pittsburgh Washington, like they drafted those players and immediately they were a threat. And I think Bedard has that same impact. You'd be great. I cannot wait to see what happens tonight. We're recording this obviously at mon- Monday at 12.58 PM in a matter of seven hours. Uh, well, actually, you know, probably a matter of eight because it takes forever for them to actually get to the lottery. Um, but in a matter of probably eight hours, we will know. Uh, you know, which team will be getting the best, like, or one of the next best potential ge- player of his generation. It's going to be amazing. Um, all right, Rachel, I think we've reached the end of the podcast here. Um, lots to, lots of fun to talk about. We'll be back later this week, obviously to break down and potentially have a postmortem for uh, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs who were gunned down in their prime. Um, but until then, uh, by themselves, by themselves who self-inflicted, gunshot wounds in their prime um but yeah so that'll be a lot of fun but until then you know stay safe stay happy and uh yeah we'll see you later this week